I want to share with you a picture. This is a picture, this is a large view of an image in the Hinduism unit in my textbook when I, was a six, when I was in sixth grade. This picture portrays a poor woman carrying a basket with a pig behind her and a roadside full of dirty garbage. Is this what Hinduism rep represents to you all? The standards for evaluating instructional material for social content clearly says that their purpose is to project the cultural diversity of society and instill in each child a sense of pride in his or her heritage. Then I want to ask you, what is the purpose of introducing such a denigrating picture in an already compressed chapter on Hinduism? Sixth graders who are newly introduced to Hinduism will be forced to come to stereotypical conclusions based on such images. And when it comes to children who are Hindus, they may begin to question their own beliefs. They may, they may begin to question their own beliefs and will feel some sort of embarrassment when talking about their own religion. For example, uh, sophomore year, the AP World History textbook gave the impression that Aryans from Europe came to India and built up the Hindu culture and created our languages. While this is just one of the theories out there, it is portrayed as an established fact in the book. Many scholars believe that this theory, this Aryan theory, was devised and used by British colonists to claim credit for ancient Hindu advances. It was used to divide and rule the natives of India. Yoga comes from my heritage of Hinduism. Yoga is also referred to as the Hindu way of life. It is touching so many people's lives today. United Nations has also declared June 21st as International Yoga Day as it has benefits for everybody. But I'm disappointed that yoga is not part of the Hinduism chapter for my past social studies textbooks. I want my friends also to know that we too have great contributions such as yoga that is relevant to the lives in today's world. I urge you to mention yoga in the chapter on Hinduism in ancient India. What I learned in school about my culture had surprisingly little to do with what I had learned at home. Um, I would specifically point to the section in the early November framework draft that describes the Hindu social structure. Um, it devotes around 337 words out of approximately total 900 words on Hinduism to a mistaken interpretation of the social structure. Why? Uh, this totally skews the picture about Hinduism. Other more pertinent aspects such as reverence for nature and Ayurvedic medicine are barely mentioned, if at all. One of the goals of the standards for evaluating instructional materials for social content is to enable all students to become aware and accepting of religious diversity while being allowed to remain secure in any religious beliefs they may already have. But after being presented with a predominantly negative portrayal of Hinduism, I lost interest in what was being taught about my religion at school. What you just heard was a sample of several Hindu teenagers who spoke before the California Department of Education. History textbooks in the state contained inaccuracies about Hinduism and misrepresented the religion. And since we live in a country where we are encouraged to speak out when we notice any injustice, these students were able to voice their outrage to members of California's Department of Education. And in this episode of the podcast, we speak to Suhag Shukla, co-founder of the Hindu American Foundation, an organization committed to Hindu advocacy. Now you must be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Puji Gurudev? I promise there's a connection. This is the Gurudev Podcast. The body, mind, intellect. Arjuna Vaja Arjuna Laws of cause Discover your identity with God. 
Keep the goal highest. Suhag Shukla co-founded the Hindu American Foundation, a non-profit advocacy group that promotes dignity, mutual respect, and pluralism. HAF is involved in public policy, academia, human rights, and interfaith dialogue. The organization releases data-driven articles and reports that detail conditions for Hindus and others around the world. So what inspired her to start the organization? I am also a former Balvihar student and probably at some point even met Gurudev, but um, was not cognizant of really who he was and, and what he stood for. And, you know, oftentimes now as an adult, when I look back at footage of him and just the fiery spirit and the sheer um, tenacity and, and intellectual vigor and energy um, that he encompassed, that he was the embodiment of, um, you know, I really do see him, even though he's no longer with us physically, as, as my guru. Um, and so, you know, even during Balavihar, I don't think I would have envisioned that I would be in the career that I am today. But I'm familiar with HAF um, as a result of being a co-founder. So it was, um, you know, one of the other co-founders, Dr. Mihir Megani, who's um, an emergency physician in the Bay Area, who approached us and asked about, um, you know, shared his vision that, look, I feel that we need an organization that's based in the United States that is advocating on behalf of uh, not just Hindu Americans, but also Hindus globally. And so um, he approached myself and my husband, and um, we pulled in a classmate of mine from law school, and there were a couple of others, and we just kind of set pencil to paper and started chalking out a vision, you know, what would such an organization look like that would, you know, educate the public um, and dispel misunderstandings of Hinduism and really provide kind of a grounded understanding of Hinduism? How would we as Hindus address some of the most contemporary problems that are addressing us, whether it's the environment um, or civil rights or equal rights or all of these different issues that we see so many other faith communities involved in and how are we going to give voice to those hindus who are unable to speak for themselves or to even practice the very basic um, religious traditions that they were born into in places like pakistan or bangladesh or throughout other areas of south asia and so it was with this vision that we came together and chalked chalked out a plan um, over our kitchen table and um, the rest is kind of history. Thirteen years later, we're in a place that I couldn't have imagined. Now, Hindu Americans are statistically the most wealthiest group in the United States. They generally have high educational attainment and worship their religion freely. So what are issues that Hindu Americans face? I think there's a variety of issues. I, I would say the most fundamental issue that we face as a community is just the overall misunderstanding of our tradition. Surveys have shown that nearly 90% of Americans report knowing little or nothing about Hinduism. And what is there um, in the public space about Hinduism is often caricatured, it's exoticized, it's eroticized, and it really does not reflect um, how Hinduism is lived, practiced, and, and studied by ordinary Hindus. 
And one of the first places that that starts is in public school textbooks. Public school textbooks. You just heard several teenagers give personal accounts of why they were opposed to how Hinduism was taught in their textbooks. Keep in mind that these students were not affiliated with HAF, but were expressing their views to the Department of Education. HAF also got involved. Every six years, the California Department of Education and the California State Board of Education adopt textbooks for use in public schools. The Curriculum Development and Supplemental Materials Commission, commonly known as the Curriculum Commission, advise the State Board of Education and make recommendations for specific edits in textbooks. During this editing stage, the commission is open to public comments. Christian, Muslim, and Jewish groups regularly provide input at this stage. HAF attempted to have edits adopted, but had to pursue legal action when no compromise was reached. Here are some of the edits that HAF proposed. A correction stating that the Ramayana was written before the Mahabharat. A correction that females in Hindu society were not inferior to men and that there were several saints who were women. And a correction that caste discrimination is not a central part of Hinduism. Push away all the noise and the rhetoric, and and I would encourage people to actually read the edits that we submitted. And what we're asking for is context and nuance, and also the way in which Hindus understand. And, you know, I think that there's plenty of writings by Gurudev himself in which he talks about the distinction between Varna and Jati. And, yes, did caste-based discrimination become a social evil within Hindu society? Absolutely. And today it's a social evil that cuts across all religious traditions in India. And that's the sort of presentation that we're asking for. Can you still be Hindu um, without, you know, falling into caste-based discrimination? Absolutely. I think that you and I and anyone and so many people throughout India, throughout the globe, um, don't look at these types of differences and don't, you know, look at the merit of people's behavior and accept the person for who they are in front of them as opposed to judging them by their name or their occupation. And that's the sort of understanding we feel needs to be in textbooks. The second point is one of parity, that when slavery is taught in schools, even if it's taught in depth. The historical fact of the matter is that people used the Bible or people used other religious texts to justify slavery. But you don't find the textbooks conflating slavery with Christianity. On the same point, people also looked to scriptural texts to to you know, abolish slavery. And in that same way, have people used religion within the Hindu context to perpetuate the bad treatment and the, the horrific treatment of other people uh, based on notions of purity? Absolutely. And, and we're not asking for that not to be um, talked about. But to teach that practice as if it's an inherent teaching um, or an eternal treat, uh, teaching, we feel, is wrong, especially when our tradition by its um, own um, understanding has a distinction between Shruti, the inter- eternal treat- teachings, and Smruti, um, which are bound by time and context. Those are the teachings and practices that are meant to be understood um, and reinterpreted over time. So when HAF works on behalf of the Hindu community, How do they keep the work noble and refrain from pushing for special treatment for Hindu Americans? 
Well, I think that if you, we can go back to our teachings in a very lofty way, that what are we trying to do? We're not trying to benefit, um, we're not trying to unduly benefit our community. We are only trying to serve the higher purpose of dignity, of mutual respect, and of pluralism. And I think that that's what really keeps us grounded in the types of policies that we're promoting. The other thing is that I think when you approach policies from the mindset of a Hindu American, I think that you really need to sit down and think about this. Okay, where, if I were to think about religious liberty issues, or if I were to think about social justice issues from a Hindu perspective, where would it place me? And it's interesting that on a variety of issues, it really puts us in a very um, much-needed middle ground, so that oftentimes some of our domestic policy when we're dealing with religious liberty issues or hate crimes issues, we end up finding more um, partnership on the left side of the aisle. But um, there are issues such as um, human rights globally that for one reason or another capture more of the attention of, of our friends on the right. So in that sense, I think that Hindu Americans are very uniquely placed or positioned if we really approach some of these contemporary issues, these pressing issues um, that are facing not just Americans but people around the world, um, that we'll find that we don't need to veer to any one direction, but really just stick to key principles. And for HAF, that's promoting dignity, promoting pluralism, and um, promoting mutual respect that allow us to kind of not get into this selfish mode, uh, because I think oftentimes that's what lobbying comes down to, is profit, um, selfishness, and all of these things that give it a bad name. We've been working on the Hill for the past 13 years, and I think that we're definitely making improvements. Um, you take a look at folks like Vivek Murthy, who is the U.S. Surgeon General, who is, um, you know, grew up in a very devout Hindu home, is inspired by the teachings of Swami Vivekananda. You know, there are many, many young Hindu Americans um, who are entering public service. Do we need more? Absolutely. Are we as represented in public service as we are in other uh, fields, such as medicine or, as you mentioned, um, technology? No, we're not. When members of any ethnic group leave their homeland for a new country, they invariably have a difficult time maintaining their religious practices and being aware of their religion. We asked Suhagji how Hindus have fared in that regard. Now, as far as uh, Hinduism in Trinidad or, or throughout the Caribbean, Guyana, Suriname, all of these places where you're looking at fourth and fifth generation Hinduism still alive and well and has it like a pulsating beat, I have just the most tremendous, tremendous and deep, profound respect for, for how Hinduism has carried on there, and in many ways am saddened by what has happened in just one generation here in the United States. You know, do we have a couple of things that went against us? Absolutely. We don't necessarily live in close-knit communities. Um, it's a different time. Uh, the circumstances under which kind of the first earlier waves of Hindu Americans came to the United States was different. HAF recently surveyed Hindu students about their experiences at school 
and they came across some eye-opening results. We recently conducted a bullying survey. It's a small initial survey, and we're hoping um, in the coming years to expand the uh, sample size. But out of you know some 300 students that were um, surveyed, while, yes, we have succeeded on the whole um, financially and even educationally, where, ha- where do we stand in terms of the public understanding of our traditions or the respect that people might have about our traditions? And what our bullying survey has shown um, is kind of showing quite the opposite, some remarkable numbers, and, and I don't have the statistics right offhand, but the number, I mean, of a good majority of the students reported being bullied about um, their religious beliefs um, in school or being singled out by their teachers, um, especially when the unit on ancient Indian Hinduism were taught. So these things have real impact. One in four said that they were um, singled out or put on the spot by a teacher um, when the section on Hinduism was discussed. Um, Three out of five, actually more than three out of five respondents said that their schools focused on caste in Hinduism, presenting it um, as if, um, you know, caste-based discrimination is, um, and the practice of caste is intrinsic to Hindu beliefs. Um, One in three said that they had been bullied for their religious uh, beliefs. And I think this one really hit home for me, that one out of eight respondents said that their teachers made sarcastic remarks about Hinduism in front of class. So this last statistic really, I think, goes to the crux of, I think, the longevity of Hinduism in the United States. I, as a second generation, am certainly imbibed um, into the teachings and and am wanting to pass them on, but I meet so many people in my generation who, you know, may be familiar with the rituals of Hinduism, but don't necessarily understand the meaning behind it and the deep symbolism behind it. And I think that that's a travesty and something that's going to, without knowing the basis of some of these things, it's very easy to set aside ritual and then forget kind of these core teachings that are there that really are relevant um, to how we can as individuals serve society, serve one another, care for one another without difference, and serve a higher purpose. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area before the tech boom. So I was one of only a handful of Indian students in my high school. And in ninth grade, I remember during that unit, my teacher had me stand up and she asked me three questions. One, what caste I was. Second, whether my uh, marriage had been arranged. And third, whether my parents were saving for my dowry. I knew the questions to the latter two, but I actually didn't to the first because it was irrelevant to the way in which our family um, were Hindu. It um, did not play into how we treated one another, um, you know, how who we ate with or any of these things. Those types of social issues and practices were no longer a part of the way in which we um, were Hindu. What kids can do, and it's very difficult, I've, you know, I have two children of my own, a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, so they both have, you know, and HAF is now 13, so they've really grown up with HAF mm-hmm. being a big part of their lives and the importance of advocacy, and advocacy is really just a simple three-step process. It's educating people, it's building and, you know, leveraging relationships, and it's speaking out. And it's this last piece that's most difficult um, because, 
you know, for my sixth, well, now he's an eighth grader going into ninth, but when he was in sixth grade and they covered the unit, I said, look, if you are uncomfortable with what's being taught about Hinduism, you need to speak up. You need to be respectful, but you need to just go in with the facts. So he took some of HAF's 101 materials into his classroom, and his teacher happened to be very receptive. I think it was very important for my son to be an advocate for himself and for the community and for the tradition. And when it came to the test, here's where a lot of kids face pressure. When it came to the test, the test was based on the material in the textbook. So, you know, my son felt like he was going to be answering incorrectly in his heart. Even though the book said one thing, he knew Hinduism to be something different. He had a very understanding teacher, and this is where that relationship building comes in. Obviously, a student has a generally a good relationship with their teacher, and I think parents can also be a part of that relationship building and keep the lines of communication open with your with your children's teachers. And at that point, the teacher said, you know what, this is what we'll do. I'm going to give you 15 minutes extra during this test, and you answer the questions according to the book so that I know how to grade you. But you can, if you'd like, take the time to write out why that answer might not be correct. And he took that opportunity to do that. You know, when we stand up for something, it's definitely not going to be easy. And and I think that Gurudev has um, some really poignant teachings on this in terms of the path of the pleasant and the path of the good. There's going to be the path of the good is always going to be more difficult, but it's really important that we take the time to uh, put in the effort and, and garner up the strength to do it. As the host of this podcast, it's my job to present the story, not become a part of it. But I would like to share an experience, two in fact. When I was in ninth grade at a high school in Texas, we studied world religions. We spent three days learning about Hinduism, and this is how it went. On day one, we learned about the evils of the caste system, and how Hinduism systematically persecuted those who belonged to lower castes. On day two, we learned about Sati, and how the British valiantly abolished this barbaric Hindu practice. And on day three, we learned that since Hindus believe in renunciation of material objects, Hindus are encouraged to be poor, and that's why there are so many poor people in India. I was the only Hindu student in that class, and there were around 24 other students. 24 teenagers that just learned all that false information. 24 young minds whose view of Hindus and Hinduism was just tainted. As a 15-year-old, I desperately wanted to say something but I just couldn't find the right words. I decided to seethe in silence. Fast forward to 11th grade. In English class, we were reading short stories by Bharati Mukherjee, an Indian American author. The stories contained elements of Hindu culture and they were discussed in class. I was one of two Hindus in the class and our teacher was unique. She let both of us provide our perspective on the Hindu concepts we were discussing. I felt comfortable voicing my views, and the open environment allowed me to clarify any misconceptions my fellow students had about Hinduism. Now imagine, 24 students that learned the truth about Hinduism, 24 young minds who now saw Hinduism as a religion with so much depth and regard for all life, 24 human beings that have the facts when they discuss Hinduism with their family and friends. Finally, 
We asked Suhagji why an organization like Chinmaya Mission should partner with HAF. So oftentimes people are like, well, you're an advocacy organization. Leave the, the Hindu teaching stuff to the Baal and the religious organizations and you stick to advocacy. But this is where the two paths, I think, can partner in a very effective way. Because of the separation of church and state and the way in which the laws in this nation are set up, where you cannot go into a school and teach religion, but you certainly can go to teach about religion, that's where, in partnership with an advocacy organization, might give you a better chance of being able to address the students or address whatever fora in a way that doesn't come across as any blurring of that line between separation of church and state. So a religious organization, just as we may not want necessarily a church coming into our children's school or a local mosque coming in and giving lessons on religion, in that same way, um, I think that we need to be respectful um, as a community of something that's very important because the separation of church and state, as much as it protects the state, it also protects religion so that we don't have state interference in the way that we want to exercise our religion. So in that framework, um, we have a population that's quite well-versed but not necessarily always comfortable in going to these kind of diverse audiences and talking about Hinduism to people who have zero idea. It's very hard to describe something that you know in your heart or you've lived your entire life to someone who knows nothing about it. And so our hope is to really um, provide kind of these tools, um, whether it's through our PowerPoint presentations or simple primers that have been written um, in a way as to not cross that line between church and state, but also explain these very oftentimes complex and esoteric concepts in very simple, precise language. We've also made sure to avoid terms like idol or words that may be misconstrued by other religions uh, because of their meaning or their context within those other religions. So, for instance, um, you know, worshiping idols is a sin for some religious traditions, or uh, worshiping an idol is worshiping a false god. And now, if we come into a school and talk about our murtis as idols, for a lot of the people in the audience, they're immediately going to enter a certain frame of mind that we don't necessarily intend for them to be in. And so these are the kinds of best practices that we're hoping to share with our community um, and be able to then better participate in Interfaith Fora. Uji Gurudev stressed education and awareness constantly. As Hindu Americans, isn't it our mission to responsibly raise awareness about our religion so that we all live harmoniously, regardless of faith? The Gurudev Podcast is produced by Chick West and brought to you by Sattvic Media. Our content manager is Ramesh Chirvu. Our executive producer is Swami Sarveshananji. And I'm your host, Sridhar Garra. Vande Chinmaya Sadgurum.